Well, it's good to be out, and uh, anyway, join with Rick, and welcome everybody out. Why don't you get your Bibles and follow along, and study carefully from the Word of the Lord, as we're going to look at the topic of church benevolence tonight, and we subtitle it, Letting the Bible Speak on the Matter. We're not here to give what we think are opinions. We want to care, give careful study to the Word of the Lord on this particular topic, because there is some who teach error concerning this, and we're going to look just carefully what the Bible teaches. All right, when we talk about church benevolence, the first thing we need to do is just talk about what we mean by benevolence. Benevolence is, uh, is the idea of assisting the needy or uh, the poor, poor saints or poor believers uh, that are lacking necessities. It's not talking about, well, you know, I don't have a Lamborghini. I sure hope the brethren help me get, get my Lamborghini, you know, and send out, send out requests to help me buy a Lamborghini or buy a private plane. No. We're talking about necessities, uh, the basic necessities of life, and, and sometimes there are things that happen. Sometimes you read in the scriptures there was famine, sometimes there was discrimination, sometimes there were just various other problems that would create that, things that get beyond your control and not able to provide for yourself. And the church, of course, can step in to try to help out uh, the poor needy saints in those characteristics, in those uh, situations. All right, so let's just look at some passages. In fact, we're just going to kind of look at all the passages that sort of talk on this topic. There are a few others that sort of relate to it, but, but in particular, we'll just look at these passages that describe where the local church was involved in, in, in rendering aid and help. We begin in the book of Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, you have people coming in on the day of Pentecost. People had traveled a long way, and this was all new. People were converted, and they wound up staying there. And if you make provisions, uh, like you're going to go travel, like Karen Barbara's going to be traveling this week, they're going to go out west, be gone for maybe a couple of weeks or something like 11, 12, whatever. But then something happens, you're out there for like a month, a month and a half. I was like, whoa, we didn't make provision. And that's kind of what happened in the, these early chapters of the book of Acts. These people came a long way, and so there are some special sacrifices that were made there uh, to share and to help in those needs. And that's where we read here in Acts chapter 2. And all that believed were together and had all things common. So we're talking about the believers here, what, what happens here, how they come together. And sold their possessions and goods and distributed them to all men as every man had need. And so people would be coming short because you've traveled a long way. Your intention was, this Jewish feast, you're going to go back. But now you've been converted and... Really, you don't have a Bible to uh, the New Testament, and so they were relying upon the apostles there at the beginning, upon inspiration, and so they stayed there for a period of time before they would go back, and the Christians were making special sacrifices. In Acts chapter 4, we read again this uh, uh, special sacrifice being made. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. Now, laying the money at the apostles' feet then would constitute a treasury. A treasury is just a place where uh, valuables are deposited. They laid them at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he has need. Well, who was it distributed among? Well, among the saints. That's who's talked about. And then it talks about uh, Barnabas making that special sacrifice. And then actually in chapter 5, it talks about Ananias and Sapphira. And there's some key elements there that that was uh, when they made these sacrifices of selling, when they had the possession, it was theirs. When they sold it and had the money, it was theirs. And so it was a strictly voluntary thing, these special sacrifices that were being made. So that's important to understand uh, in, in these early chapters there. All right, then we come to Acts chapter 6, and we read, And in those days when the number of the disciples were multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Hellenistic against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reasonable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, pick out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And so here taking care of these widows, uh, both of uh, uh, the, the Hellenistic Jews and then the Hebrew Jews. And there was some friction there, but they kind of get that problem settled, but taking care of those uh, needy widows there. And then we come to Acts chapter 11, and uh, there came up a problem. There was a famine. And a famine can be caused by lack of uh, rain. It can be caused by insects. It can be caused by plant disease. And uh, there's a scarcity of food. And so things become pretty expensive uh, when there's a scarcity. And so it says, In those days came the prophets from Jerusalem and Antioch. 
And there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be a great famine throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according uh, to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren who dwelt in Judea. So the saints, they gathered up some funds, and they sent it to who? They sent it to the brethren, which also they did, and sent it unto the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. And so they sent this benevolent help for the needy saints. Uh, that was uh, here in reference to this uh, famine that came. And then we read in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 16, which would have been later in time. And, uh, oh, I'm behind on my uh, slides over here. Uh, then we come into 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and Paul talks about this special collection for the, the, the poor saints in Jerusalem. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do you. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by in story of God's prospered name, that there be no gatherings when I come. And uh, there we read also in the book of Romans chapter 15, which also deals with what Paul spoke of, making this collection for the saints, it wasn't just every saint. It wasn't for the well-to-do saints. It wasn't for, no, it was for poor saints. And that's important to understand because we read that in Romans chapter 15. But now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. So this benevolence was for the saints. And, but not all the saints. For it pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia. Now Corinth would have been part of Achaia. To make a certain contribution or fellowship for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. So it was for the poor saints. It was for the needy. And that's where benevolence comes in is for needy, poor uh, people that are having trouble making ends meet and putting food on the table, that type of thing. And so this benevolence, this, uh, these uh, sacrifices that were made out of kindness was for the poor saints which were in Jerusalem. And uh, Paul goes on to say, It pleased them greatly, and their debtors they are, for if the Gentiles had been made partakers of the spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in the material things. And so here the, the Gentile Christians, they've been partakers of the, of, of the blessings that emanate from, for, from the Jews, that is salvation in Christ Jesus. And now they had a need, and so the Gentiles then could uh, render unto them financial aid for the poor saints there in Jerusalem. And that's what Paul talks about. And, and, and really what happened, and Paul's going to talk about that in 2 Corinthians, it's like it would help wield together. God used a traumatic time to blend together the Jew and Gentile. I mean, old habits die hard. And, and this, 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 this idea of separation and standoffishness and, and, and the Jews kind of being among themselves and kind of separate from the Gentiles. In Christ Jesus, that wasn't the plan. The plan was that Jew and Gentile would come together in the one body. We would be one. And you see those problems. I mean, it's like Peter that he was associated with Christians there in Galatians 2. And then some Jews came from Jerusalem and then he sort of backed off from the Gentile Christians. And of course, he was being hypocritical and Paul uh, spoke out against what he was doing there. But, but the, the, the goal of the gospel is to bring them together. And so God is going to use the occasion of, uh, of the lacking of what was happening among the poor saints. And the Jewish Christians would share with them and it would help blend together the body of Christ. And that, that was just a tremendous blessing. And then continue on there in verse 29. And I'm sure that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service that I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints. For this contribution that was being collected was for the saints, for believers, needy believers, not just any believers, but for needy believers in specific. All right, now we come to 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. And really you can read the whole chapter, but we're just going to emphasize our point here uh, by first off looking at the first four verses of chapter 8. <clears throat> Moreover, brethren, we want you to know of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How then in the great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and the deep poverty abound unto the riches of their liberality. For to their ability I bear record, and yea, beyond their ability they were willing to themselves. Now, you, you kind of have like three classes, right? The, the Corinthians were pretty well-to-do. And then you have the Macedonians. They, they were in poverty, but that was relative. They weren't, they weren't like 
the poor saints in Jerusalem. They, it's not that they were without, they just didn't have as much as the Corinthians, but they wanted to help the, the poor saints in Jerusalem who didn't have enough to, uh, to, to feed themselves, that, that type of situation. And that, that's kind of what's happening here. And so these Macedonians, Paul says in verse 4, begging us, beg, they're begging, Paul, Paul, please, uh, begging us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Ministering to who? Ministering to the saints. And so what we see in all these passages, that this benevolence was for the saints. It was for the saints. It was for the believers. It was for the, the, uh, the poor saints, uh, the, the saints that had need that this uh, offering was, was being given. And then you notice there in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 1, for concerning the ministering to who? To the saints. Well, we're the saints. Well, they're members of the church. They're not people on the outside, not unbelievers, not talking about people that are non-converts. Uh, what this uh, benevolence was for was for the saints, that is, poor saints, uh, saints that were in need, uh, saints that had uh, necessities. And as unnecessary, it is unnecessary for me to write unto you. And he goes on to talk about that. And then dropping on down there in number 12, in number 12, Paul says, for the ministration of the service, that is, this, this collection that was made for the poor saints in Jerusalem, and the carrying out of this, the administration of the service, not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. And so it was for the saints. This benevolence was for the saints. This special assistance was given to saints, poor saints. And then uh, one more passage talks about uh, sometimes the local church can be involved. And this was uh, a particular uh, situation here in 1 Timothy chapter 5 because these were widows indeed. Not just any widows, but widows indeed. That is, widows who, who come short and their spouse is dead and, uh, I don't know, maybe the kids have forsaken them, the kids have, uh, have uh, left them, whatever. Uh, they had to be a certain age. But this wasn't just a temporary. This, these, these, these widows, the situation wasn't going to change. And so Paul used the language of being enrolled. And that is, they would be more of a permanent care. And there were certain restrictions about that. And we read that there in First Timothy chapter 5, now being verse 9. Let not a widow be put on the list. That is, to be put on a list, be enrolled, because it's not going to change for this woman, this widow lady. And uh, she's not to be put on a list under three score, that is, under 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, well reported of her good work. So this widow, the widows that are talked about here, they would be Christians. They wouldn't be unbelievers. They would be saints. Well reported of for good works, if she hath brought up children, if she hath lodged strangers, if she hath washed the saints' feet, if she hath relieved the afflicted, if she hath diligently followed every good work, been a faithful sister, uh, she, she could be enlisted uh, to be taken care of. But the younger widows, now, in contrast, the younger widows, no, don't, don't enlist them. Because Paul says, for when they begun to grow, well, because uh, 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 for the younger widows refused, for when they begun to grow wanton against Christ, they will marry. And so anyway, his advice for them is that they ought to get married. Verse 14, now therefore that the younger women bear, uh, marry, uh, bear children, rule the house, give no occasion to speak, uh, uh, no occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. And then in verse 16, the ultimate verse, the last verse, it says, and if any man or woman believes has widows, well, responsibility for aged parents falls upon children. That, it's children's responsibility to take care of aged parents. And that's what, that's what the passage begins there and talks about that. that that's a basic fundamental uh, uh, foundation. That, that goes back to honor your father and mother. Honor your father and mother means to respect them when you're young, but it also means to reverence them and take care of them in their old age. And Jesus talks about that. And so if any man or woman has, believes has widows, let them relieve them, and let not the church be charged, that it may relieve them that are widows indeed. That is, that don't have somebody to take care of them that meet these qualifications, then the church could then step up and take care of them. So what, what are we reading? When we look at all these verses, it talks about believers, it talks about saints, it talks about those that, that are in Christ, that are in the body that the church is rendering benevolence to. That, that's what we read. And that's all we read 
in the area of benevolence for the church to be involved in helping. I read all the verses, and that's what the verses say. I didn't, I didn't make it up. I didn't put the limitations on there. I just read what, what the verse said. And so we know that the church has authority to help those that are needy, uh, that are saints. Now, let's continue on. Because some will ask the question, can the local church give benevolence to needy unbelievers? Those that are not saints, those that are outside the body of Christ, those that are not Christians. And uh, the argument is made, well, where does the Bible say to poor saints only? It doesn't say that. It just says for the local church to be involved in helping poor saints. What we need to find is a verse that talks about for the church in, in the area of benevolence helping unbelievers, which we don't have. It would be like asking the question, where does the Bible say sing only? Well, the Bible don't say sing only. The Bible says to sing, and that's what we do. We sing. Now, if we're going to play, which is a different type of music, and there's only two, there's vocal music and instrumental music, we're told and commanded, like Colossians 3, Ephesians chapter 5, we, we are told and instructed to offer vocal music in our worship so what we've got to find to have instrumental music, we've got to find a book, chapter, and verse that authorizes instrumental music. We don't have to have a verse that says, you know, sing only. What we have is God tells us to sing. Now, where is the authority for us to play on instruments of music? Well, it's, it's not there. There's no New Testament authority that gives authorization for using mechanical instruments of music in our worship service. It, it's just not there. It would be the same about where is the verse that gives authority for the local church and the area of benevolence to render benevolence to unbelievers, to those that are outside Christ, to assist uh, needy unbelievers. It's just not there. Now, if we could find a verse, it would be okay, but we are limited to what God says and authorizes us to do. We, we understand that in everyday authority, in everyday life. I mean, we go, to the, uh, we go to a mechanic and we drop our car off and say, uh, hey, could you, well, I need a new set of tires, and can you put me on a new set of tires, and uh, I'll, I'll be by this afternoon and pick it up. And you stop by and pick it up, and they say the bill is like $1,200. Like, what, $1,200? Four tires cost $1,200? Well, we put on new tires, and we changed the spark plugs, and we changed the radiator, uh, the the antifreeze, and, and we did a few other items there. And we said, well, I didn't ask you to do that. Well, you didn't say put on the tires only. I mean, is that the way we reason? Well, no. <laughs> we, we asked for one thing, and that is to change the tires. We, we don't have to say, no, don't do this and don't do this, and only do this. You, you don't have to do that. Just say, I want my tires changed. And that's all you give authority for. And that's the way God deals with us. He tells us what he wants. And then when we uh, presumably and by presumption decide, well, we're going to do something uh, in addition to, well, then uh, we, we, we're kind of uh, we're not respecting the authority of God. All right, so there are those that say, oh, yeah, but yeah, look at Galatians 6 and verse 10. Galatians 6 verse 10 authorizes helping unbelievers. It says, as we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially to them who are the household of faith. So we can do good to all, especially to the house of faith, but that would include unbelievers. And they say, well, see, right there, see, the local church can be involved in that. Well, there's a problem there. Let's back up and notice what Paul says beginning in verse 7, because verses 7 through 10 is a unit of teaching. And he says, be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. For he that sows to the flesh shall the, of the flesh reap corruption, but he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season. We're thinking about planting and harvesting, planting and harvesting, planting and harvesting. There's a season to plant, there's a season to harvest. Plant a season to plant, a season to harvest. That's the, that's the language. And as we therefore have opportunity, that word opportunity is the same word uh, season in verse 9. As we have a season, there's a season to reap. Well, there's a season to plant and to sow. And that's what he exhorts in verse 10. But in verse 7, what did he say in verse 7? Who is he talking to in this law of harvest of planting and sowing or planting and harvesting? 
uh, uh, sowing and reaping. Who is he talking to? Who is he talking about? Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a church. Now, what's that? Isn't it that? It says, for whatsoever a man sows. See, the man is the one that's doing the sowing, and the man's the one that's doing the reaping. A man is an individual. A man is not a church. I mean, you can argue one, one side down the other, but it's not true. Now, each individual is a part of the church. But look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. For the body, we know the body is the church, and the church is the body. For the body is not one member. You can't have an individual say, well, that's the body of Christ. <laughs> because Paul says, for the body is not one member, but many. So if you're talking about the body, you're talking about a collective group of people, of Christians that make up the body of Christ, that make up a local congregation, or make up the universal church if you look at it from the universal sense. And so when you look at Galatians chapter 6, it's not talking about a local church. It's talking about a man. And certainly as an individual, as a, as a man, as a woman, we can help the saints uh, in in rendering benevolence, to render assistance, and those that are outside the body. We're, we're allowed to do that. Galatians chapter 6 talks about that. But it's talking about what a man does, not talking about what the local church does. You see, you can't, you can't take verses and just, just, just take them and, and just apply them any old way. You get in all kinds of trouble. You get in all kinds of trouble uh, with that kind of uh, exegesis and that kind of... Uh, and that kind of uh, of, 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 of study and teaching. Here's another verse that's sometimes used. James chapter 1, verse 27. James 1, verse 27. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Ah, see, well, there you go. They're talking about the church. No. Again, it's not, it's not talking about the church. Well, how do we know that? Well, first off, it used the word himself to keep himself if you were referring to the church, it would be in the feminine gender. And so it says keep himself. But also look at verse 26 because verse 27 talks about pure religion. Verse 26 talks about vain religion. If any man among you seems to be religious and breath not his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is vain. So you got vain religion, verse 26. You got pure religion, verse 27. Verse 26 talks about if any who, if any man. We're talking about the individual. Again, the answer to that is verse 26 and 27 together is talking about our individual responsibility. We have the responsibility to visit the fathers and the widows in their affliction. Each individual has that responsibility. And to practice pure religion, not vain, empty religion that's talked about there. And again, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. For the body is not one member. You can't take a verse that talks to the individual and say, well, we're just going to apply that to the local church. You can't do that. You're going to get into all kinds of problems. If you can take one, why can't you take other verses? Why couldn't you take verses that talk about how as individuals we're to work and, and, to, and to make a business to make money? Well, why can't the local church then make a business and, and make money? Is it, you, see the, you see the faulty reasoning with that? I mean, are we going to go to that end? I mean, as individuals, yeah, we can do sports and recreation. Can we just then say, well, then the local church can be involved in sports and recreation too? Well, no. You get, in, you get into a quagmire when you kind of do that kind of uh, exegesis of the scriptures. No. There are verses that talk about what individuals do, and there are verses what talks about the local congregation doing. And then somebody says, uh, and this uh, studied with a fellow here recently, and he says, well, why can't the body do what Jesus did, helping unbelievers at times? Well, we'll grant that Jesus helped unbelievers from time to time. And so the argument is, well, why can't the head, why can't the body, why can't the church do what the head of the church does in helping unbelievers? Well, my answer to that would be, in Mark chapter 6 and verse 3, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, talking about Jesus? Jesus was a carpenter. Before he went into preaching all the time, after his baptism, he was a carpenter. That's a business. That's an occupation. He made money being a carpenter. And we could use that reasoning, well, why can't the body do what the head did? He 
worked a business and run a uh, occupation, why can't why can't the church have a uh, a carpentry shop? Why can't the church run then a an infirmary or a hospital? Why can't the church then have a business uh, to sell whatever to make a a, a supermarket? I mean, the building just sets empty all the time. Why can't we just open a daycare center here and make money? I mean, why can't the church do what the head did, and that is to uh, uh, work uh, uh, making a living in carpentry? You see the fallacy of that kind of reasoning? You can't take, take some ideal and then, you know, well, we're just going to limit it to uh, helping unbelievers in benevolence and uh, make an argument, well... We're going to have to be consistent in our study of the scriptures, application of the scriptures. And that creates a problem. And then the verse that, that the folks take in this position that the church can, can help uh, uh, in benevolence uh, needy unbelievers, the passage they think is clear cut of 2 Corinthians 9.13. And let's go to that passage and look at it once again. While the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for your professed objection to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution or your generous distribution or your generous uh, fellowship unto them and unto all. Or all men, the word men is italicized, and so others, persons just use the word unto all. Unto them and to all. And so the reasoning is them refers to saints, that is saints in general, and since them and all is used in the same verse, they must be different groups. If, if the them refers to the saints, then all has to be a different group other than the saints. It can't be them, it can't be them, saints, and then all saints. It can't be saints and saints. That wouldn't make sense. Well, that, that would be correct reasoning. It'd be like uh, reading the Bible when we read about uh, soul and spirit. Many times they're used interchangeably. But if, if you use the two words together in the same verse, soul and spirit, that, there has to be a difference. I mean, if, when, when Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, preserve your whole body, soul, and spirit, he didn't say your body, soul, and soul, or your body and spirit and spirit. So soul and spirit didn't have a difference of meaning because they're used together in the same verse. And so that would be true when it says, uh, for your liberal fellowship unto them and unto all, them would be one group, all would be a different group. That, that would be true. But here's the assumption. Here, here's the assumption that is made is that them just refers to saints in general. And that's not so. You see, you start out with an assumption to say, them, well, that's just saints. And so all has to be something other than saints because all and them are used in the same verse, so contextually it has to be different things. Well, it's true, they have to be different things, but the assumption begins with them refers to saints. That is saints in general. When you look at pronouns in language, in, in, in reading the Bible, in everyday language, pronouns are used in substitution of nouns. A noun is a person, place, or thing. And so when you're talking about them, who would be the them that is described contextually? Who would be the them that is described in the context? When we talk about them and all. And we have to find who all is somewhere in the context also. Well, the them, just back up to verse 12, for the administration of the service not only supplies the need of the saints. The them is the needy saints. The saints that are in what? The poor saints. The poor saints at Jerusalem. That's the them that is described there in verse 13. The needy saints. That's a, that's a limited group. That doesn't talk about all the saints in general. It's talking about them, the needy saints, the saints in what? The poor saints phrase Paul used in Romans chapter 15 talking about the same topic the poor saints not all the saints in Jerusalem but the poor saints the poor saints and so that's the them and so they all then can refer to something different other than the poor needy saints of the them and let me talk about why it cannot be unbelievers that's the argument them would be the needy saints the argument is, well, that's just saints, and therefore all must be non-saints or unbelievers. That's not true. That's not true. 
No, it doesn't. Because there are different things that are stated in the context that will not allow that interpretation. Let me just look at a few of them. First off, who did Paul raise the money for? What, what, what was the money raised for? When we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, now concerning the collection for the saints and the unbelievers. That's not what the text said. The collection was for the saints. Not just all the saints, but for poor saints, because that's what Romans chapter 15. So we're talking about a collection for poor, needy saints. All right, so the collection was for the saints. Look at uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4. The, the Macedonians were begging uh, to receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints, not to the ministering to the saints and unbelievers. That's not what the text says. They wanted to have a part in sharing in this help for the saints, poor saints, not just all the saints, but the poor saints, the poor saints of Jerusalem. And these Gentile in the Macedonian churches wanted to take a part in helping the poor saints in Jerusalem. That's what the money was raised for, the poor saints in Jerusalem. In chapter 9, verse 1, for concerning the ministering to the saints. And say for the ministering to the saints and the unbelievers. I mean, that's the argument that's made about them and all them, uh, saints and all unbelievers. Uh, that, that, that don't fit. If you're going to raise money for one purpose and then spend it for something else, that, that, that's not copacetic. People get in trouble. Just in the news the other day, this Black Lives Matter, there's all kind of money raised, and, and some of the leaders in that, they've like been spending money on big houses and all kinds of things. And You don't raise money for an organization for a purpose and then kind of like spend it on yourself personally. It's like getting campaign money for politics and then spending it on other stuff. You, that's not copacetic. And so Paul's raising money for poor saints, and now you're going to spend it on unbelievers over here? That, that, there's, a problem. there's a problem with that. That's why I, I reject the all would refer to unbelievers. That, that's one of the reasons. But we're going to look some more. If you notice there in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 4, in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 4, he says there, he says, uh, that take upon us the fellowship of the ministry to the saints. The funds were described as a fellowship. The, the giving that, that they, the Christians were doing in the Gentile churches for the poor saints of Jerusalem is described as a fellowship. Chapter, chapter 9 and verse 13 also talks about that fact. It says, while the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for your professed objection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal or your generous distribution. The word distribution is the same word, fellowship. The translations sometimes use the word fellowship. But it's the same word, fellowship. And then there in Romans chapter 15 and verse 26, it says, for it pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution. And that word translated contribution, and again, same word, cornea, uh, that is fellowship. So Paul describes what's happening here of the Gentile churches collecting money for poor saints in Jerusalem. He describes it as a fellowship, a fellowship. Have you ever studied the word fellowship? The word fellowship, it talks about spiritual connections and, and joint participation in Christ, in spiritual things. There in Acts chapter 2, they, they, they were steadfast in, in breaking the bread and prayers and in fellowship, talking about the giving. Uh, there in, in these passages here, use fellowship. Paul used the word fellowship talking about how they were supporting him in the preaching of the gospel. That is, collections were made and they were sub sending support to Paul and it was described as a fellowship. Now look at that passage over there in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14. Paul says, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what partnership, or other translation says communion, but that word communion is the same exact word used in 2 Corinthians 8, 4, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 13, Romans chapter 15, verse 26. Paul says, what fellowship, what communion hath light with darkness? If these funds that were raised for the saints then was to help the saints, but then also to help unbelievers over here, Paul raises the question, what fellowship has light with darkness? This work was the work among the people of God, among churches, among the saints. 
And what they were doing in making these funds, these Christians were giving, and it was for the poor saints in Jerusalem, it was described as a fellowship. No problem with fellowship with uh, one congregation or another in this area of benevolence, but where do you get the idea that then you have fellowship with unbelievers? I mean, what do we do with this verse? What fellowship has light with darkness? What communion has light with darkness? I mean, that's a rhetorical question. It's not looking for an answer. The answer is obvious within itself. There is no fellowship between light and darkness. And this gift that was given, the funds that were raised uh, by the saints, it was described as a fellowship for saints. Where does it say fellowship for unbelievers? And then how would you deal with 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14? See, if you, if you take the position all in 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 13, 2 Corinthians 9, 13, them, needy saints, and all unbelievers, uh, well, how, how do we deal with that verse? That's why I reject saying that all refers to unbelievers. And then notice there in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, here's another reason. When you look at 1 Corinthians 16, and you look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapters 8, chapter 9, and Romans chapter 15, the only time unbelievers are mentioned is in this one verse, verse 31. What did Paul say? When he's asking the brethren to pray, he says, you pray, there in verse uh, 30, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea. Well, now, if the all, the them and the all, meaning all, meaning unbelievers, well, wait a minute, Paul, why, why, why are you praying to be delivered from the unbelievers? You should be praying that you might be delivered to the unbelievers. Not from the unbelievers, but to the unbelievers. See the problem with that? I mean, if, we, if we're going to take that interpretation of 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 13, them, saints, and all unbelievers, why, why is Paul saying that I might be delivered from the unbelievers? Them that do, do not believe, that, that's the unbelievers. See the problem with that position? See, when, when you take a position, it, it's going to have to harmonize all with everything the, the Bible has to say. That presents a problem, that position. And then notice there in 2 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 13 through 15. He talks about inequality. This, this giving and this sharing, he uses the, the concept of, of giving. Uh, that, that, that here the, 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 the prosperity and the, and the blessings that were upon the Gentile Christians and the lacking over here with the people of God in, in Jerusalem and Judea there, that they were lacking, there were poor saints, and so Paul says, as he's talking about encouraging the Corinthians to give, he says, For I mean not that other men be eased and ye be burdened, uh, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want. And their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there may be inequality. See, the, the Jewish Christians, they were rich in Bible knowledge, and the Gentile Christians, that, well, they were lacking, and they would be able to provide for that. And physically, the Gentiles had plenty of money, and so they could share with the, uh, the physical needs. As it is written, he that gathered much had nothing over, and he that gathered little had no lack. And that's talking about the gathering of man. Among the people of God in the Old Testament, they would go out and gather manna, and if somebody gathered plenty, you couldn't keep it over because if you kept it over the next day, worms would get in it and you couldn't eat it. But if you, if you gathered a lot and this fell over here, maybe they, they were feeling bad and they couldn't gather up enough, well, then you would take your abundance and share with them and everybody had plenty. Is Paul talking about an equality among believers and unbelievers? Is that, is that what he's talking about? Is that the language that he's using here? Is that what he's talking about there in Romans chapter 15? For it pleased them, uh, pleased them greatly, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is to minister to them in material things. And he talks about the Jews and Gentiles. He's talking about believers and unbelievers, or he's just talking about believing, believing Christian, uh, the believing Christians who are Gentiles and believing Christians who are Jews. I think it's obvious he's talking about in the family of God. He's talking about in the church in the churches, among God's people. That's the equality that the Christians that had an abundance and they could share with the Christians that were lacking and therefore bring about equality just like the gathering of manna among the people of God. That's why I reject the whole idea that all refers to unbelievers. And then something else, that word all, the word all is an adjective. An adjective. Well, what's an adjective? 
Okay, an adjective. Let me define an adjective. Definition of adjective, a word or phrase naming an attribute added to a grammatically related to, uh, to a noun or to modify or describe it. Adjective describes noun. So whatever the all refers to, it's modifying some noun. And the noun, of course, would be something within the context, the context of the verses right around chapter 9, verse 13, or maybe the whole chapter or the uh, chapter 8 also, that deals with that topic. But the noun would be found within the context. Adjectives are words that describe or modify another person or thing in the sentence. So what noun or noun phrase does it describe or modify in this sentence? Verses 12 through 14. And let's look at that passage once again, 12 through 14. For the administration of the service not only supplies the needs of the saints, the needy saints... But is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. So now we've got a many. We, we've, got, we've got the saints, the needy saints being helped. But there are others going to be. There's going to be many. There's going to be, there are going to be other Christians that are going to be giving thanks. While the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for your professed objection unto the gospel of Christ. So whoever is talked about is talking about Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, and it's talking about these Gentiles in these various uh, uh, Gentile uh, areas uh, that uh, there were Christians, there were members of the church in, in these Gentile churches that are giving this help. <clears throat> While the proof of this ministry, they glorify uh, God for your professed objection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal uh, fellowship unto them and unto all and by their prayer. So whoever's talking about in this being helped and being blessed. There's going to be prayers, going to be thanksgivings. Who long after you, so whoever is being helped, they're longing, and those that are associated in what's taking place here, they're longing. Well, who would be longing after the Gentile Christian? Well, that would be the Jewish Christian down in Jerusalem. Who long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you. Now, where, where do you read anything about unbelievers here? The only thing that's mentioned in connection with unbelievers, Paul says, you pray that I'll be delivered from them. Not delivered to them, but from them. Text says all. The adjective is all. You, you, see, see what happens. Those who take the position, uh, the liberty distribution unto them, the saints, and unto all unbelievers, but they don't say all unbelievers. Well, you know, you've got to use common sense. That's the argument. Well, you've got to use common sense. Okay, if you use common sense, it says all. I asked the fellow, I said, who is the all? He says, unbelievers. So if you say all means unbelievers, then it has to be all unbelievers. Well, who's going to accept that position? That this contribution from the, from the uh, uh, Gentile Christian was to help the poor saints and to help all unbelievers? I mean, that, he said all refers to unbelievers. The adjective is all. It didn't say a few unbelievers. It didn't say, you know, some unbelievers. No, it says all. So if you're going to say all is referring to unbelievers, you're going to have to say all unbelievers. Or if you want to change, say, well, just needy unbelievers. Are you going to say some needy unbelievers? Are we going to change it to that? You can't say some. You can't say a few. It says all. If the all is to modify some noun, and the noun means unbelievers or needy unbelievers, you're going to have to say it, this, this fund that was, that was created and, and collected from all the Gentile churches that was taken to Jerusalem uh, to help the poor saints there, and it was to help them and all the needy unbelievers. Who, who, who believes that? Is it, well, you've got to use common sense. Okay, well, let's use common sense. Who's going to take that position? You see, what happens is, well, you've got to use common sense, and really it just means some. Who, who, gives, who gives a person the privilege to change the word all to some or to a few? See, that, that's what happens. Is that, oh, they say, well, yeah, all, that, that's talking about unbelievers. And then if you say all unbelievers, well, no, you've got to use common sense. But the, but the adjective is all. That, that's Bible-inspired. So whatever the all, the all is, whatever the noun that it's modifying, all is the adjective that modifies the noun. So who's the noun? Who's the group that is being modified with the word all, the adjective all? If you say unbelievers, all unbelievers. If you say needy unbelievers, are you going to say all needy unbelievers were helped with this? 
in a problem. But the problem when, when, when you take a position that is erroneous, it, it, it never fits with what all that's said in the scriptures. And that's the problem. That's why I reject it. All believers or all needy unbelievers? No. Don't, don't accept that position. I don't think it's incorrect. So unto them and unto all, or to them and to all. So who is the them and the all? Well, the them would be the needy, poor saints at Jerusalem. We've seen that from verse 12. And the all, some have suggested, I wouldn't have a problem with it, all other saints in like condition. That it was helping them and uh, other poor saints were being helped. Some take that, wouldn't have a problem with that. Uh, that's not really what I would view, but I wouldn't have a, a big problem with it. Or some take the position, when Paul talks about this liberal fellowship that was being delivered was to help them, that is them, them individually, themselves individually, and to all the rest of the needy saints that were in one in Jerusalem. In other words, look at it this way. Right, uh, in Jerusalem, there were, there were tens of thousands of, of, of Jews, or Jews that had been converted. That, that's what Acts chapter 21, verse 21 talks about. Midrids are thousands, so you had thousands of Jews, and some of them, maybe there were several hundred that were in need. And so money was sent, and if I was helped, and here I am in need, and there's, there's, there's 200 of us in this congregation of, of 10,000 people, and there, there are 200 people in need, and I get help, you know, I'm going to be thankful. But if there are only 100 get help, and, 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 or 150 get help, and 50 are lacking, or 190 get help, but then there are 10 that are still lacking, you know, that, that'd be kind of sad. So if I'm helped, but then all the rest of the 200 were helped too, maybe that, 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 that would certainly be uh, an explanation that would fit with the context of everything that's being said here. There would be no problem, have no problem with that. Or it could be the saints in want, the them, the saints in want, the needy saints, and all the rest of the saints. And it comes from this concept revealed there in Philippians chapter 2. And this is an interesting concept, and I, I really kind of take this, this latter position, that, well, there's two positions here. In, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul talks about Epaphroditus, that he was the messenger of the church that came to bring the help to him, and he gets sick, and he comes for Paul, and, he, and he's coming uh, in, in Paul's behalf, and it says, for indeed he was sick near unto death, but God had mercy on him, and so he was made better. So God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on, on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. You see, the mercy that God bestowed upon Epaphroditus was a blessing to him. He, he's the one that benefited directly, but in an indirect way, Paul was blessed because it sort of relieved his mind because he was there for him, and when he got better, he, he was relieved. And so it was actually mercy upon Paul too. Not that he received the mercy directly, he received it indirectly. And that's what I would see here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 13, that this liberal uh, sharing, this liberal fellowship was for them, the saints in want, and for all, that is all the other saints that didn't need help, it would be a relief of mine. If you're in a congregation, you know I have, but then there's some other Christians that they don't have, and I, I can't help them. But then somebody steps in and, help, and helps them, and that's where the Gentile Christian came in, helping them. Well, what would what, what, you think if you were a member of the congregation? You didn't have the need. It didn't help you directly, the funds that came from the Gentile churches, but it blessed you indirectly because they were helped. And you would be given thanksgiving. And then, very similar to that, the saints in want... The them refers to the saints in want. And all, all the saints in the world giving thanks and glory. When people heard about this among the churches, of what was happening here, of how this was going to help blend together what was happening here uh, uh, of by divine providence of these Gentile churches helping the Jewish Christian would help them blend together in the one body in Christ Jesus. Those that were being helped, that is the people in need, and indirectly everybody else was blessed because... Well, they would just be given thanksgivings. They would see the benefit, the blessing that came from it, etc. That, that 
is the concept that would fit with the whole context, and you don't have problems. All these other problems to try to say it all refers, well, you know, refers to unbelievers. It doesn't. And then let me read this uh, quote from R.C.H. Linsky. And he lived from 1864 to 1936. And sometimes people try to say, and this fellow uh, studying with trying to argue, well, you know, this has is, this is sort of come up, you know, uh, a few decades ago, this, this whole controversy, and, and just created this saints-only doctrine, etc. Well, listen to this R.C.H. Linsky. He was actually, I think he was a, he's a Lutheran. He was a scholar, a Greek scholar. But here's his comments about 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 9, 13. The saints are seen glorifying God also for the single-mindedness, that is this generosity, the single-mindedness, of your fellowship with them and with all. That is, your spiritual fellowship and communion, it is the fellowship of the Corinthians which extends not only to those, those saints who are being helped, at the present, but all God's saints, whether they were helped or not. You see, the help directly helped the poor saints. It helped them buy food and get, you know, have food on the table and take care of their necessities. But really it helped all the saints in the sense that they were giving glory to God and they were seeing how this merges together, how God provides for his people. And once again, the wisdom of God is seen over and over again. And so what does Paul say? Look at that. Last verse there in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And he says there in verse 14, And by their prayer for you who long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be, thanks be unto God for this unspeakable gift. The gift was not so much in Paul's mind, yeah, it helped the poor saints, but a greater purpose, because that, that was going to be temporary, but the greater purpose of help blending together the Jew and Gentiles, and the one body in Christ Jesus. And that, Paul says, is just unspeakable. It's just incredible how God in his providence works things out. He uses bad situations to work out his purposes and his plans. Just like when Jesus gave the commission to go uh, to begin teaching in, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to other most parts of the earth. You read there the chapters where they're, they're, they're just kind of standing around Jerusalem and Judea, and they're just there, 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 there. God allows persecution to come, and they scatter everywhere to fulfill the commission. They went everywhere preaching the word. See, God uses adversity to carry out his purposes. And God would have used this adversity of the necessities of the poor saints of the, of the, of the, of there in Jerusalem and Judea, and God used the Gentiles to help them, but he also used to help blend together, Jew and Gentile together in the one body in Christ. Yeah, the plan of God is magnificent. All right, if you have a question, be free, feel free to ask me. After service, I'd be happy to study any questions that you have. We extend the invitation. We extend the invitation of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and that is God has a plan to save. And the plan to save is that we hear this good news. And when we hear this news, that Jesus died on the cross, we say, yep, that's it. I want to be saved. You can step out in obedience by believing upon Christ, turning from your sin. That's what repentance is, turning from sin. Confess Jesus before men. Say, yeah, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God like the eunuch did. And then to be baptized into Christ. Galatians 3, 26, 27. For you're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as you've been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. And then to grow and be faithful. And if we do err, come back to repentance and prayer. We're going to sing this song of encouragement. Anyone needs to go to respond to the invitation, let us know if we can help in any way. While together we stand there.